So we're gonna, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to look at, at the Nazarite vow from Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the word, Numbers 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of the Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from the seed to skin. Father, I pray, Lord God, you open up our hearts here. Lord, this is a passage people, you know, just students of the scriptures we're always interested in. Open up our hearts, open up our minds, Lord God, the things that are applicable, Lord God, to us today. I pray, Lord God, that we would just sit at your feet, you'd speak into our lives, into our hearts. We'd walk out of here different than we came in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um... The Nazarite vow, and uh, I just want to tell you something, you know, you meet a lot of kooky people, right, in this world, and sometimes you meet a lot of kooky people in the church. I think I've met more, I've met more kooky people in the church than I have met in the world. And, um, but I've had people come up to me and say, Jesus was a Nazarite. He wasn't a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene, because he lived in Nazareth, okay, uh, I was ordained with the Church of the Nazarene. People have come up to me and said, oh, you're a, a Nazarite. I'm, I'm not a Nazarite. Again, uh, I've met many Nimrods through the, uh, through the years. So to understand, to understand the Nazarite, to understand the Nazarite vow, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So first thing I want to share with you, the Nazarite vow, it was voluntary. Okay, in verses 1 and 2, again, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, uh, it was a, again, it, it was something that was free-willed. Okay, it wasn't a divine command. To the Jews, keeping the Sabbath was a divine command. Okay, keeping the Ten Commandments were a divine command. The circumcision of a, you know, of a boy when he was eight days old, that was a command. The Nazarite vow was not a, a command, okay? It was something that was done, it, you know, free, we call it a, a free will, okay? Sacrifice or a free will consecration. Something we do. God maybe is leading you. You feel you want to show your love for God. You want to give to God. And you decide personally that you're going to do something, okay, unto the Lord. It's a free will offering. Now, you have to be careful with, and this is what I think we sometimes have a tendency to do, right? Uh, you decide to do something for the Lord, and now you feel that everyone should be doing what you're doing. Right, so you make you make some type of of commitment. It might be for fasting, or you get this with people. They're fasting now. They feel everybody should fast. Some commitment of of, of service, a, a commitment of giving. But it's again, it's it it is a free will commitment. It's an individual commitment, 
And it is not something that we are to be forcing on everyone else. So the person that you makes the commitment to the Nazarite vow, they're not looking around saying, hey, everybody else needs to do what I'm doing. Okay, it was, again, it was an individual commitment that they were making. You take that into a New Testament setting. So beautiful picture. And I, I shared the story about the beautiful act of Mary well, there's a, in Luke chapter 7, there's a beautiful act of the sinful woman who did something very similar that Mary did. They're not the same. Luke 7, and what was done with Mary, okay, and that is in the last, the last few days before Jesus was crucified, they're two different things, okay? So in Luke 7, there, this woman, and she's a sinful woman, and we... we try to understand what that means. Maybe she was a prostitute and she led a sinful life. And she comes to Jesus. He's in the Pharisee's house. I'm in the Pharisee. And she bursts in. She pushes in, you know, beyond the disciples and the other Pharisees. And she comes to Jesus' feet. And she begins to weep on his feet. She anoints his feet with an oil. And then she wipes uh, his feet with from her tears and from the oil. And the Pharisee is sitting there thinking to himself that if Jesus knew what a sinful woman she was, he wouldn't be allowing her to do this. And Jesus knew, he was reading his mind. And, um, you know, Jesus looked at him and he said to him, right, he goes, this woman has done this, this beautiful thing. I've come into your house, you didn't wash my feet, but she has come and she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And then, and then he says to him, for he who has been loved much, okay, for he who has been forgiven much will love much. And for he who has been forgiven little will love little. So what, what you see is, you see a beautiful act, again, this is not the Nazarite vow here, but you see this beautiful act of devotion and consecration that this woman is given. And it's, again, it's a free will act. Jesus didn't ask, right? Didn't, he didn't ask her to come and, you know, hey, wash my feet with your tears and with your perfume. He doesn't ask us to do that. But she did it, again, freely. And she comes and, again, she, she does this very beautiful act. So the Nazarite vow, again, it was, it was a free, it's a free will Okay, act of consecration. Second is, the Nazarite vow was for both men and women. Okay, it's either a man or a woman can do that. So you, you, you come to the scriptures, ladies, do you sometimes feel a little left out? Because there's a whole lot more about men than there is about women. So you go through the entire, go through the entire Old Testament, and, I mean, you, you can find just... I mean, outstanding characters of men, right? You, you, you can go, right, you can go to Noah, and then you can go to Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and Joshua, and you get into, you know, David, and just so many outstanding, well, who are the outstanding women in the Old Testament? Who can name an outstanding woman in the Old Testament here? Ruth? Who? Deborah? I'd say Miriam, throw her in there. Hannah, right? You come, you come to the New Testament, and again, it's, it's pretty male-dominated. But there's, these, these, there's a few beautiful spots 
where you see women being elevated and being really lift, lifted up by the Spirit of God. So Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, now it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene. Notice here, they name them, they're named by name. Uh, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, Joanna. That's a joke between Joanna and I. <laughs> oh, Susanna. Look, Susanna's in there too. <laughs> and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. This is a beautiful picture of women who were there walking with Jesus, with the apostles, ministering to their needs. And those women, they're at the cross. So, you know, you have Mary, 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 and John right at the foot of the cross, but there are women who were further back at the cross. And then they're there when he dies. And they're there at the tomb when he's being buried. And then they're there when he has been raised from the dead. And they're there on Pentecost, right? They're one of, you know, they're, they're there as a part of the 120 when the Holy Spirit comes. So women have an incredible role. We've said we've had blessed women in our church. I'll tell you, if the women left, the church would be gone. I'll tell, I'll tell you that. that they, and, and I want to say this to you from the Lord, that you all play such a significant role in what you do here in, at Living Word Community Church. So we come back, we come back again to the Nazarite vow being, again, for both men and women, okay, in the scriptures. And um, does anyone know of any women who took the Nazarite vow? Who? In scripture. So I, I just want to, I want to give you, I want to give you one here. Uh, by the way, let, before I even read this to you, who were Nazarites in the scripture? Well, who? Samson? That, that one is very clear. Who else? No. It, well, it, I don't think it was, Len. I, think, I don't think it was a I think he was very careful. He took a vow. Right? But I don't think it was a Nazarite vow. And I would, I would, I would actually, you know, boy, if, I, I think I could, you know, I could prove that and show that from the scriptures. But there are others. It's, it's likely Samuel and John the Baptist. Now, now, I'll say this. Samson is definite and possibly his mother. So I'll show, I'll, I'll show you. But there are, and it does seem that there are a people who absolutely devoted themselves to being Nazarites. And uh, they were called the Rechabites. And in Jeremiah chapter, let me show you here, Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 6 through 9, but they said, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all the days. We, um, our wives, our sons, our daughters, 
nor uh, to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have a vineyard field or seed. It seems, a lot of scholars believe that this was a essentially Nazarite vow that the Rechabites made, both men and women. Samson, again, Samson was a, a Nazarite. You look at, at Judges, chapter 13, 2 through 5, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. And that one was very, very clear. John the Baptist, okay, and you look at, at John in, in Luke chapter 1, 13 through 15, but the angel said to him, and this is Gabriel speaking, right, to, uh, to John's uh, dad, Zacharias, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. That's where, again, seems to be alluding to that John was a, was a Nazarite, and he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Hannah and Samuel, and the dedication. And again, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 111, it says then she made a vow, and this is the mother seeming to make, Hannah making a Nazarite vow. O Lord of, of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come, up, come upon his head. So no, no question, Samson is very clear and possibly John the Baptist, um, Samuel, and then the Rechabites as being uh, Nazarites. Now, the third thing is the Nazarite vow had a specific time frame, a beginning and an end. So this was not a, a, a it seems like Samuel was a lifetime thing. But um, for the most part, it tells us in verse 6 and verse 13 of, of chapter 6 of Numbers, all the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. Now, this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So again, it had a beginning, and it also had an end of that, that actual separation. Now, I, I just again, I'll, to relate this to us, have you made commitments to God? And they may not be 24-7 commitments. Are you, this may be a commitment you've made to the Lord to be in a midweek service. But there, there are commitments that, that I have made to the Lord, again, that, that have a, essentially a, a, a daily or a weekly time frame. Since really the early days of my salvation, I made a commitment to time alone with God every day. Now, I'll say this to you again. You talk about a free will commitment. We are not commanded to have time alone with God every morning. It's not, a, it's not a command. Jesus did it. I think that, again, if I'm following Jesus, we are told to pray, right? We're, we're told to worship. But it's not, it's not something that's written in stone that says you get up every morning and you have time with God. Now, I, I, I've shared this with you. It's one of the richest, really, maybe the richest thing that I do in my life. And I, I am committed to it on a daily basis, no matter what's hap happening, no matter how I feel. Last week, I, my eyes were so, um, I had a hard time reading the Bible. And I'm using a large print Bible, and I could barely, I could barely see, okay, the letters because of the 
conjunctivitis and garbage in my eye. I still had my time with God. So that is, but again, I, I would never force that and make it a legalistic command to force on, on people. It's, it's something I do and I do it out of love. Another, another commitment that I've made to the Lord is, and I call, I call it first things. You know, you've heard me talk about the principle of first things. And the principle of first things is that I give the first right part of my day to the Lord. I give the first day of my week to the Lord. I give my first fruits, okay? Not, not the leftovers. I don't wait until the end of the month to give to God. I give immediately after, you know, the and, and there's some unique stuff that I do with my giving, you know, because I give... It's kind of a double giving. One goes to one place, the other goes here to the church. But I give, okay, out of you know the first the first fruits to the you know to the Lord, and then giving God the first consideration in every major decision. Now, by the way, again, this is very personal to me, and not something that I would ever try to force on other people. It's it it is a free will commitment that has again a beginning and an end. Number four, the Nazarite vow had specific guidelines and restrictions. So in, in verses three and four, it says, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink, neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins which, by the way, are dried grapes. I don't know how many of you know that. <laughs> All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from the seed to skin. So this is separation, right? And we can, we can grasp on separation from wine, and this is separation from fermentation. But then why did they have to separate themselves from just grape juice or from fresh grapes? Or from raisins. What do you think? Why do you think God did that? What? Yeah, good. Good, Joanna. Susanna. Oh, Susanna. Yeah, this is what, what, jo what Joanne said was that it could turn, it could ferment. So, I'll show, I, I want to show you. I want to show you a, a, a few things. Did you ever hear of birds getting drunk, eating grapes off the vines? I'm going to show you the video. So if we have sound, that would be great. This is from a. This is a newscast. That Good morning to you. I'm Bethany Crouch. Today is October 5th. Happy Friday. Welcome to the CBS 13 News at 5:30. Ken Rudolph has the morning off. Drunk birds are totally thing. Did you hear that? Drunk birds are totally a thing. Trending at 530, some rambunctious birds getting a reputation in northern Minnesota. Police in Gilbert say they're responding to birds flying under the influence. Health <laughs> believe the birds are getting tipsy from eating fermented berries. Much like your drunk friend that maybe spends the night on your couch, it, it threw up and felt better, gave it some carbs and some water, and it did the flight of shame home. 
she's got jokes. I like her. <laughs> Rangers say many of the birds have not yet migrated south for the winter, so the problem seems to be more widespread than in previous. So that's, that's, Good morning to you. That's it. You know, just berries can ferment on the trees. And, you know, we, we, we are very careful with the FDA and, you know, what is allowed, what's not allowed. They didn't have, they didn't have all those restrictions. So grape juice could ferment. And the idea was God wanted them to have a clear head. So grapes on a vine that basically are affected by frost can easily ferment. And you can get a buzz eating grapes, right, off, of, uh, off the vine. So um, that's the, the, the idea here. And again, um, the idea, God wanted them to have clear minds. So I wanna, I'll, I'll share this to you. I don't drink alcohol. And it's, I, I don't drink alcohol not because I found somewhere in the scripture that forbids it. All right? it, it it's not forbidden in scripture. They, they drank wine. And maybe it wasn't as strong, though, to what there's a lot of debate about that, as the wine that people drink today. By the way, drinking wine was not forbidden. Drunkenness is forbidden. It's, 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 it's a disgrace, you know, for a person to be drunk. So I, I, it's, it's not that, um, again, the Word of God has, you know, and, and I, I know this is... I, you know, I, again, ordained in the church of the Nazarene, forbidden to drink wine. But I can never find a good biblical reason for them to be able to say that. And by the way, I'm not in any way telling you to go out and, and, and start drinking wine. I don't drink wine, I'll tell you why. Because, you know what, I don't drink alcohol. Because it makes me tired. It's a depressant. And it, it makes me tired it, it takes away my edge, my sharpness. And I tell you, I need to be sharp with what I do. If you, if you see what I, you know, how I live and what I do, I need to be sharp. I need to wake up sharp, and I need to be sharp till the end of the day. Because I'm, I'm, always, I'm always in a process of either communicating with people or taking in information. And I don't want to be in a place where I'm not sharp. Last week was hard, because my brain wasn't sharp. I had a hard time reading. Uh, had a hard time again seeing, and um, so it just I like to be, you know, on that razor edge, and that is a personal reason, you know, why I, I, I don't, you know, I don't drink, I don't drink alcohol. Let me just say this to you, though: alcohol is an incredibly destructive thing in our culture. You ask, you ask Dante, you get the policeman here, Anthony or Dante, they will tell you most domestic violence situations, alcohol is related. They're all, they're all alcohol, you know, connected and they're alcohol related. So, um, I mean, you look at people, you know, with DWIs, how many, I mean, people dying from alcohol-related accidents, do you know what, it's, it's like 25 times higher than gun violence in a, in a nation that has a whole lot of gun violence. And then something important to look at, 70% of children who grow up in an alcoholic home become alcoholics. 70%. So if there's, there's, some, there's some good reasons, again, to this, but again, the scripture doesn't, it doesn't forbid a person from, you know, having a glass of wine. But that's, 
you know, my personal. Now, th there were some other things, some other restrictions that are placed here. In verse 5, all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow and all the days of his separation himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Look at this, even if it's a loved one. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister, when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. So again, there's, there's restrictions with the Nazarite vow. Number five. The Nazarite vow had a procedure to follow to complete the vow. So when they came to the conclusion of the vow, let me, let me read this to you. Now, this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering. One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering. One ram without blemish as a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and the grain offering with their drink offering. By the way, if you look at that, verse 13 through verse 15, this was an expensive vow. This, was, this wasn't for wimpy people. This wasn't for the half-hearted. This, this, you know, we, we call them mug butts. You know, a mug butt is they have their mug in the church and their butt in the world. This wasn't for people like that. These are people, the, the, you've got to be serious about, about your faith. So in verse 16, Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering, then the Nazarite shall uh, shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the, the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord they are holy for the priest together with the breast and with the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering and the Nazarite may drink wine. I want to give you, give you a picture here. This is the offering he would have to make. A, 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 a lamb, a ewe lamb, a ram, and a, a basket of, of bread and oil. If you made a Nazarite vow today, Okay, you'd probably have to go out to Pennsylvania to be able to buy the animals. Listen to the cost. A lamb is, a, is about 50, 60 bucks. But a, a, a lamb that is more towards a year old is 300 bucks. A ram costs you about $65,000 fully loaded, okay, with the, with the fancy, you know, no, I'm sorry, I got, I got mixed up. I'm talking about a ram Dodge truck. <laughs> A ram is six hundred bucks, so you're at, you're at about a thousand bucks. So when you you made a Nazarite, you say, "All right, I'm going to make a Nazarite vow. I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to eat raisins. I'm not going to eat grapes. I'm not, you know let my hair grow." That's not, I, you're talking about making a commitment of a grand. 
So that, that, that's, a, you know, that's a serious commitment that somebody would be making. Something you'd have to count the cost, right? Jesus told us to count the cost. I want you to think about that. Jesus, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish? So he's telling this story about, right, there's a king going to battle and the king's going to count the cost of whether he can win the battle or he'll lose the battle. Man building a tower is going to stop and he's going to count the cost of how much it's going to cost him to build. Now Jesus, Jesus gives those very simple illustrations. And I, I want to tell you why, why I believe why. Because he didn't want people to think that he was offering some kind of welfare salvation. So, you know, look at John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Kind of easy, right? Just got to believe in Jesus. You get a ticket to heaven. You get all your sins forgiven. Right? You're, you're just, you're, 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 right, you're right with God. And then you see other places where Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Right? Count the cost. Right? What are you, what are you saying there? Right? Look, there are conditions for salvation. Yes, faith. But the, the, the faith, right, carries with it conditions that you must believe, right? It was just people say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, well who? Which Jesus? Right? Do you believe he is God? If you believe he is God, then he should be the person that you are worshiping. If you believe he is Lord, and we just sang the song, I surrender all. If he is Lord, then you are going to be surrendering and submitting to him. If you believe he is your savior, then you're going to be putting your trust in him with your eternal, right, your eternal destination, your eternal you know, destiny and your salvation. If, if, you, if, you, if you truly believe. So there, there are conditions of, you know, of that act of belief and that act of faith. Because what you, what you have is you see a lot of people who basically they don't count that cost, right? And they make a commitment to a Jesus that is not the true Jesus of the Bible. And that's why you, what you have when Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, many will come before me, many, and say to me, Lord, Lord. And he will say, I never knew you. Because you did not do the will of my Father. And these, again, these are people, right? They're preaching. They're casting out demons, doing miracles. And he says, I, I, ne I never knew you. Because I believe they never made a, a true commitment. And they never really counted the cost of, of, of following Jesus. And you get people, and I tell you folks, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been, do, I've been doing it, I did it in other churches and I've been doing it here at, at Living Word for you know, over 30 years. How many people I've seen come and go? Let me tell you something. We could fill this place from Friday night until Sunday morning with all the people I've seen who have come and gone. Now, God bless the ones, they moved on, they, they're in other churches, they moved to other parts of the country. So many people, they just float in and out of here. And they, they never made a true... And I can tell you, you preach the cost, and I start preaching the cost, and I preach discipleship. You know what it's like? I'll, I'll tell you, 
I, I saw it. I saw it in December, which I didn't even think were were messages that were were that you know harsh or or, or called you know calling people to carry their crosses or deny themselves. It's it's like there's a rake that comes upon the church and moves through and just removes the dead wood. And there are people who I'll tell you. I go back to the first week of December. I know of people who were here and here and here. They're gone. They're gone. And I, I, I believe, again, many people, they don't count the cost. So they're looking, they're looking, for, they're looking for Jesus to meet, you know, meet their needs. They're looking for Jesus to make them happy. They're looking for Jesus to you know, give them white teeth you know, or a, a, a happier smile. And... Um, all of a sudden, you know, the reality sets in. And they're gone. So, you know, we make a commitment, yes, to believe in him. But that commitment to believe in him involves self-denial, carrying a cross, and following him. And if not, folks, those who, who don't make that commitment and that cost and come to that place of true faith, that's what you have. But there is, a, there is a place to count the cost. And again, the, the Nazarite vow is, again, just an example. They, count, they had to count that cost because the cost was high. Our cost is much higher, right? We may have to suffer for him. We may have to die for him. And when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and following me, he wasn't talking about your cross being your mother-in-law. He was talking about death. They all died. All but John. They all died for their faith. And our brothers and say, we're here in America right now, and at least it's good right now. We're somewhat good. I, I, I don't, you know, they're not coming in here and arresting us. But our brothers and sisters are in jail in China. Our brothers and sisters have been killed. I mean, they're being killed in northern Africa and Nigeria. They're being killed. They're being killed consistently daily. For their faith. So there is a, there is a cost. So here's a, 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 final, a final note. Again, every passage you'll see in the Old Testament, you can always find a comparison, okay, a comparative passage in the New Testament. I want to give you this. If I could think of a comparative passage, it's Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the way, the Nazarite vow was a vow of love. Saying, I love God. I love Yahweh. I, I love Him. I love His Word. I love His law. I'm a, I'm a devout Orthodox Jew. And I want to show my love for Him by taking a Nazarite vow and devoting myself to Him in a, in a deeper way, in, a, in an extra deep way over the course of this next weeks or months. And uh, it was, again, an, an act of love. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Watch what, what, again, by the mercies of God, the love of God. That, that is, God doesn't give us what we deserve. That is the love of God. And then that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you know the mercies of God? They're new every morning. By the way, 
They're new every afternoon and they're new every evening too. Look at, look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. That's from the New Living Translation. Did you ever hear that song? Faith, you've heard that song. Tom, you've heard that song. I'm going to play it for you. This little song. To, you know, when I played You Are the Center of My Life on Sunday, um, Ricardo Bellotto came. He had, a, he had to do a little tweak on my uh, heater that he put in a couple weeks ago. And um, he said to me, I downloaded that song. He goes, I listened to it all day yesterday. Wow, some people are hearing what's said. Some people are acting on it. And um, here's a song that, uh, boy, I've, it's resonated and stayed in my mind for 40 years. get that down in your notes you can pull it up on YouTube and you can listen to it and until it starts just playing in your heart and you wake up in the morning or you wake up in the middle of the night and the song's just playing you are the center of my life was playing in my mind the last few days my prayer for um, the church that I pray frequently for the love of Christ compels us that the people who attend here at Living Word Community Church would be compelled by the love of God that they would be motivated by the love of God. That is the only motivation we should have because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It is the love of God that compels us, right? It was the love of God that compelled the Nazarite, and it is the love of God that compels us to live for Christ. Amen? Okay, let's bow our heads. Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word. Let us remember, Lord God, the Nazarites, Lord God, and the vows that they made, 
Lord God, we're not under the law. Lord God, we're not forced to do things, but Lord God, the things we do, may we do them out of a love for you, out of, Lord God, an understanding of your great mercy that is truly new every day, and that, Lord God, may it truly inspire us, motivate us, and compel us, Lord God, to do things, significant things, great things for you. And I pray this all, Lord God, with my brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name, amen. Folks, stand with me, and uh, the worship team will lead us in a final song. When we're done, we're all going to come up together, we'll gather over here, and we're going to go into prayer. Thank you, Pastor. Great word from the Lord. Amen. Altars are open if you want to pray alone before we pray together. with a grateful, thankful heart, Lord. Ever grateful, always thankful for your mercies, Lord. They are new every morning. And Father, we just praise you for this word tonight, the truth of the vow of the Nazarite, Lord God. May it just resonate in our hearts, Lord God, as we spend time surrendering to you, Lord, and offering ourselves to you, the first and the first, as always, Lord. May you be honored, Lord, in the way that we give each day, Lord, of our time, of the words of our mouth, of our encouragement, Lord, whatever it may be, Lord God, may we be truly your hands and feet. 
here until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray.